0: Thanks, Sarah. And uh, thanks for the intro. That certainly doesn't sound like me. Um, But anyway, we'll we'll crack on. Um, So as you can see on the slide, and as Sarah's just said, this is part two of a six-part series in critical control management. So previously, there was a session on identifying material unwanted events. Um, Today, we're going to focus on identifying the critical few. We have made a conscious effort to keep this webinar short. So it's a 30-minute session. It's all about micro-learning and sharing lessons learned and you know hopefully it's of value and and helps everyone on the call in their organizations. Uh, Before we kick off, a little bit about FIFO consulting. So I've worked with FIFO across a couple of organizations now over the last couple of years. Um, You know, that they've got a wide range of capability that you can see on the slide, uh, you know, extending almost to a global reach now. Uh, And my experience with with FIFO has really been around a couple of different things. Um, So excitingly, uh, previously I've worked with FIFO on risk workshops and facilitated risk workshops like we'll talk about today, which is super relevant and and how they inform developing high performance standards. Uh, I've also worked with them on other things such as uh, Federal Safety Commission and ISO Accreditations. uh, And JLL was one of the early adopters of the Health and Safety Index, which is a fantastic tool. that's I think, a sister company to FIFO Consulting. Uh, With that, over to you, Terry.
1: great. Thanks, Adam. So um, as you said, today is uh, webinar two of six, which is exciting. So today's agenda is going to include a quick recap of webinar one. Uh, We're going to look at what is a critical control and what is a normal control, Um, options to identify critical controls, and also the pitfalls and leading practices. So last week, uh, for those of you who weren't here, we spoke about the importance of understanding your current state and desired state. So It's worth noting that it's not one size fits all. Each organization is unique. So the approach that the company such as Rio Tinto might use may not fit your organization. So this is quite an important one to keep in mind. Last week, we also looked at the critical control terminology and the importance of getting that right early on. So if the terminology is um, not, uh, not across the organization early on, this can lead to some issues down the track. So it's best to get that right early. Uh, We also looked at leading approaches for identifying material unwanted events. Uh, If you missed the previous webinar, it is available through Myosh, so please reach out through their avenues to find that one. And finally, we introduced the FIFO Critical Control Management Workbook. So this has been designed to guide organizations and provide practical tools.
0: Thank you, Adam. Thanks, mate. So off the back of um, last week's webinar, really uh, where we sit in terms of series is within your organization if you you follow this trajectory you're at a point where you know what your material unwanted events are so once you've identified those and and that is really a critical piece because you know the first step in any effective risk management is to understand the context and the scope of it so to understand exactly uh, what type of risk analysis you're doing and, and which material unwanted event you're trying to control once you've done that, you really need to pick the best method of doing that risk analysis session. And there is, there's a whole range of tools in the industry that can be used for this um, and different strengths and weaknesses throughout them all. And really which one you're gonna select is going to depend on the type of organ, the organization you are and also the level of control and ownership you have of the risk. So, you know, for example, safety and design, Probably not the best tool for a, an, a company that's involved in operation and maintenance, for example, because it probably sits earlier in that piece. Um, you know, there's other conventional tools like risk registers. My personal favorite, the bow tie, because it's just super adaptable, super intuitive. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, there's tools like fishbone analysis, which um, many people on the call have probably used before. Very useful as a, a risk identification tool. Um, very, very good in process safety environments and manufacturing. But the other thing you want to consider when you're selecting which type of risk analysis tool you're going to use is the types of input you're going to ask for and who's going to be involved in that risk analysis session. So, you know, some of those complicated tools like um, fault tree analysis, for example, they're not that intuitive. So if if your intention with the risk analysis is to involve um, a bunch of people that don't necessarily come from risk backgrounds, you want to pick something that's pretty intuitive and that you can talk to and and is conducive to a really good um, consultative environment when you're doing that session. And and that input piece is is critically important for a number of reasons. Um, Namely, you wanna get the the end users and the people that are gonna be at the sharp end in terms of managing the risk involved and and have that perspective informing um, the decisions that you make. But also the engagement piece is very important in terms of once you've done that risk analysis and you're setting those performance standards, making sure your end users feel like they've got a level of ownership and and engagement with what you've done and um, the outputs of all this risk analysis. So a good case study to kind of wrap that up, Terry, if you jump onto the next slide. Uh, So safety and design, as I said, you know, good safety and design really goes across the whole life cycle. So, you know, you can see in the example there, if you've got a parapet and you're eliminating the need for things like fall restraint or arrested fall devices, that, that far outweighs the benefits. If you've identified the need for that paraffin back in design and you've implemented that, that's going to be far more effective across the lifecycle of that structure than doing a really good facilitated bow tie in, in the operations phase where you've already missed the opportunity for that higher order control measure. And I guess, Terry, I'd be interested to know um, from a FIFO perspective if um, you've encountered things like this before where you know, in facilitated design sessions these things pop up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And i am not doing this through FreeFO, but through my uh, previous roles as well, quite often that you're, you know, in a HSE role, or operational role left with uh, something that you just, it's impossible to manage now or quite hard to manage because it's already been designed a certain way. And unfortunately, budgets don't always allow to knock things down and start again. So we're seeing more and more now organizations reaching out for a bit of support and safety design um, and getting it right early on. So um, we are seeing it more and more. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out if you need more help on that one.
0: So I think next, um, we've got a bit of a slide around bow ties. And as I was saying earlier, the bow tie risk analysis method is really my favorite way to do it. Um, so I to you to go through this in, in detail, but one of the things to consider when, when you're planning to run some kind of risk analysis session is actually the mechanism to do it. So, you know, you can have um, there's different types of software, for example, that can be used for this or, you know, Excel spreadsheets or risk registers, whatever it is. One of the ways I find quite effective for something like a bow tie is literally to have a big whiteboard and, you know, some post-it notes or something where you can get people in a room and, and work through the problem.
1: Yeah, you're right. Definitely engaging people is the um, a key element of it. And so let's look at uh, the bow tie now. And um, of course, many people here have used them a lot in the past, but let's put the lens on for critical control management today. So as you can see here, we've got the um, event that we uh, we're trying to avoid in the middle there, but our threats on the left and we've got our consequences on the right hand side. So um, of course, when doing a bow tie assessment, the goal here is to identify controls both on the preventative side, but also um, on the reactive side. So mitigating once the event has occurred. However, the critical part for today is looking at the, uh, what are the critical controls? So the critical controls are crucial for preventing uh, the event in the first place or mitigating those consequences. Keyword here is crucial. Uh, the absence or failure of a critical control would significantly increase the risk despite existence of other controls. So uh, the control prevents uh, more than one unwanted event or mitigates uh, more than one consequence. So what is a control versus what is a critical control? So what we've got here is a, um, a, a couple of options here. So we've got a, a SWIMS and a management plan. So a control should be an act, object or system. So again, the SWIMS is very, very important document. And so is um, management plans. And it could be emergency management plan, traffic management plan, um, whichever one you're looking at. However, these are not critical controls. There may be critical controls within these documents. So what I'll do here is we'll continue on. So down the bottom there, we've got a a person working at height with a full um, system that is a critical control. So making sure they're positioned um, well away from the roof there. And also we've got the uh, fall arrest system, which is also a critical control. So you can see the difference here between the swims uh, and then something that would be within the swims as the actual critical control.
0: I think just to to add to that, Terry, you know, one of the things that I see quite commonly, um, certainly in, in my current role, is that from time to time when you overly rely on controls such as the swims or the management plan, you know, there is a risk of um, waffle, so to speak. So what what I find quite commonly is a management plan might say that the subcontract is to provide this and it's gonna meet these minimum requirements. And then the subcontractors document might say they'll align with the principal contractors' requirements. But, you know, at some point in time, the rubber needs to hit the road in terms of stating how we're gonna do the role, uh, you know, the task safely. And that's really where you want that focus on critical controls and, and knowing exactly what it is that needs to be incorporated into those. Processes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that makes me think about the, um, the verification side of things too. I know it's so common for people to go out to a site to um, verify works has been done safely, look at the swims, see the detail, and go, oh, that's fine. However, have the critical controls been identified and are they in place? So it's about going in there with um, in specific intent and finding those critical controls. Exactly. Okay, so off to a case study. So Uh, There was an incident which happened a little while ago uh, within an organisation where a worker was accessing a switchboard and received burns from a flashback. So you can see the picture here on the top right. Not ideal, Um, would have been a fair bit of recovery there. So approximately two weeks after the incident, we uh, conducted a risk workshop. So the idea here was to review the layers of defence leading up to the flashback. So you can see down here on the bottom, we've got the layers of defence minimizing exposure, detect and deflect, um, the last chance of intervention, and then we have the incident occurring there. So post-event, there were a number of uh, missing controls identified. So you can see here on the left-hand side, a number of missing controls leading up to the event, but also a number of missing controls um, post-event. So what was found here was the critical, con- oops, wrong side. <laughs> The critical control missing here was the absence of correct PPE. Which may have prevented the outcome, which we can see there in the top right.
0: I think uh, that that layers of defence arrow down the bottom. That, that's a really good way to emphasise as well that a, a lot of um, conventional education around incidents and risk, you know, and if you think about the the image of the Swiss cheese model, for example, um, you know, a lot of times that that's perceived as ending when the incident occurs. But really, what we're focusing on is is the loss of energy that's going to cause the the, the harm, and then there's still critical control interventions that can occur after that to, to reduce the consequence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it goes back to engaging the people in that process through the risk workshop. Yeah. Okay, over to you, Adam.
0: So, what are some of the common pitfalls? And, you know, like Terry and I were just discussing, you know, uh, over reliance on the process and the safe work methods as opposed to digging deep and actually making sure the critical controls are incorporated into those processes. So again, making sure at a certain point in time, the rubber's gonna hit the road and we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing and what we need to have in place. Uh, Having an unclear scope. So back to the very beginning, making sure we have a clear understanding of of what our role is and the level of risk ownership we have based on the role our organization's gonna play within the supply chain. And are we actually the one managing the risk and at what point in that ownership point? um, you know, that, that life cycle, if you like, are we going to be managing the risk and what do we need to do? Missing material, unwanted events. So defining exactly what unwanted event we are trying to control and making sure we've got all of those accounted for in our business. And really the leading practice for that, as we've been reiterating throughout, is to make sure we've got the right people involved in that discussion from the beginning, that, you know, they're capable, they're the ones interacting with the risk and they've probably got a lot of that organizational knowledge to, to help inform that decision, this is a really critical one, and I'll talk about it a bit more in a moment uh, in relation to one of the, the case studies. But developing the procedures before identifying the critical controls. So you see a lot of organisations do this, and you know they're trying to get the ball rolling. If you like, it's um, it's pretty common. But what you really want to do is have those facilitated workshops and have that consultation and let all those outputs and all that feedback and input from, from your end users inform the development of those procedures. So you're not jumping the gun, you're making sure you're building those from the ground up and getting the right information in there um, in relation to what your, your critical controls are going to be. And having some performance standards around your, your risk workshop facilitation and or your critical control design. So you need to have some governance around how you're going to approach this. Um, you do see a, a lot of organisations these days attempting facilitated sessions and um, you know, learning teams and things like that. But without some of that expertise for facilitating some of those sessions, you can go a little bit off track. So having a really good framework around how that's going to be conducted and, and what those performance standards are is, is really important to, to navigating this whole process. Uh, if you jump onto the next slide. So this is a case study uh, safety at speed. I, I was actually uh, lucky enough to be part of this. So this was uh, FIFA being engaged by JLL by my good friend, Jeanette O'Brien, if anyone knows Jeanette, hopefully she's on the call. Um, so this was a great uh, example of how you would facilitate risk workshops and inform the development of, of critical control management. So over a, just under a 10 week delivery period um, across a national basis, we worked with FIFO in JLL to run eight virtual work, um, bow tie workshops. So we had people dialing in from all over the country, um, they facilitated sessions um, using visual tools. There was uh, four senior experts mobilized from FIFA to support that. And within the JLL business, we had more than 60 employees participating. And the outcome of that, which was really positive for the business, we identified on average nine new critical controls for each of the high risk activities that we, we focused on. And those were used to inform our performance standards, which enabled those clear expectations for our operational management. Um, and you know, by having that definition, we're now able to have a targeted approach and focus on the critical few, which is that important uh, verification piece, um, and that that all culminated in us having 21 high risk standards developed in that 10 week period um, that have been a great use to the business since then, uh, particularly with things you know like Federal Safety Commission accreditation and and all those other byproducts of successful critical control management.
1: So I guess with that one, you know, average of nine new critical controls, there must have been a few aha moments there for the team.
0: <laughs> yeah, and look, again, going back to having the, the end users involved in it, you know, what, what was abundantly clear to me at that time was our people knew what they needed to be doing and what they wanted to be doing to manage the risk. But our system at the time wasn't necessarily responding back to them. So it wasn't defined. We didn't have that that target on the wall that we could point to and say, this is how work is done around here. Um, and that was, you know, one of the key benefits of being able to develop those standards. We are able to capture that organisational knowledge and and take all that input on board and say, all right, this is, you know, what our people have told us and this is the way we're going to manage things henceforth you know, at this level with these critical controls.
1: For sure. And those standards are quite clear, simple documents. Or are they quite expensive?
0: Look, the thing I, the thing I love about this, and um, again, my, my good friend Jeanette O'Brien, we talk about this all the time, but... The one thing that you know we really feel like we got right in that whole process was all of the focus was on the controls you know we weren't worried about the the formatting of you know what does the swims need to look like does it need to have risk assessment columns or any of that it was all about these are the controls we're focusing on specifically again I keep saying that where the rubber hits the road but this is exactly what needs to be done when we're managing this scenario this is what we're going to focus on Um, and that's where our energy is going to be directed we're not going to we're not going to spend time worrying about insubstantial things that, that aren't directly impacting the risk. For, for our role in supply chain and, and the job that we do in the business, we're going to focus specifically on the control measures and, and kind of disregard a lot of other things, so maybe slay some of those sacred cows that you know we hear about a lot of the time. So we've got a poll here. Um, so the question is, what topics would benefit your organization? So the poll will pop up hopefully on everyone's screen and you get to choose from multiple. So you can pick more than one option. So would your organization benefit from general business risk management, HSE risk management, the identification of your material unwanted events, uh, identifying your critical controls, facilitated risk workshops or any other. So, we'll give it a a couple of seconds and then we should start to see some answers rolling. How
1: are we looking there, Sarah? Okay, I'm not seeing anything come through just yet. Are you seeing anything? Adam? Here we go.
0: <clears throat> okay, so so eight percent of people said general business risk management. Thirteen percent said HSE risk management. Uh, identifying material unwanted events was fifteen percent, and then the top two critical control identification at twenty eight percent and risk workshop facilitating thirty six percent. So so in general, um, the the preference is to benefit from assistance in identifying critical controls and facilitating some of those risk workshops that inform that. Yeah. And I think in the chat there, I'm seeing it was a single option. So apologies for everyone on that.
2: Okay, everyone, I got lost. I lost my internet, but I'm back oh, with the safety. Back, so, so I don't know what happened to the poll or what happened to me, but the poll's still going. So I'll, I'll end it now and show you the results, okay?
0: Okay, yeah, so just to recap on that, I just read them out. But again, um, the the top two by far, 36% were um, interested in risk workshop facilitation and and 28% focused on identifying critical controls. Uh, Only 8% on on general business risk management.
1: Yeah, interesting. And I guess those risk risk workshops too, um, organisations can do them internally or if they do need some support, there's a lot of support out there and resources to help do that. I I generally
0: agree with that sentiment too, you know, the the facilitated workshop is is great for that consultation piece and getting that end user engagement. So I actually um, I empathize with that sentiment that that's very true in my book as well.
1: Mm. It can be quite valuable having someone external to uh, poke the bear as such. Um, So on that topic of additional help. So, um, you know, FIFO are here to help. So I want to go through a few options we've got here. So uh, we've developed that self-directed workbook. So if anyone would like a uh, copy of that or would like more information, please feel free to reach out. We've got um, Mark Wright, who's the managing director of FIFA and myself, we've got our calendar there. Uh, and we are offering a complimentary discovery workshop. So discovery workshop is not the risk workshop. It is discovery workshop to see uh, what's going to work best for you and your organization. Uh, As you can see there, we we do do workshops. We offer uh, critical control management training and system development, third party verification, which is becoming increasingly popular to do, um, and also strategy and reporting assistance as well. Uh, There is a whole heap of information out there. So um, you can see a few options here. ICMM and RiskGate are very good resources. However, they are very mining focused. So when you're reading through those, please put the lens under your organization just because it says it in that document doesn't mean it's going to be right for what your outcomes are. And okay, moving forward to next week's future webinar. So, part three. So, we're joined from uh, Caitlin from, so it's moving this over. We're joined from uh, Caitlin from, um, oh, I had a brain fog there, from Lockheed Martin. <laughs> so, uh, Caitlin's going to be joining us next week to go through. So, we're having some internet problems as well here. Yeah?
0: Yeah, you able to take over, Adam? Yeah, yeah, so <clears throat> Caitlin, I actually know Caitlin, she's a cracking professional. Uh, she's uh, in a senior role across Asia Pacific for Lockheed Martin, um, and I think the scope for that is to discuss critical performance standards. So again, going back to that, that earlier point around making sure you really understand what those performance standards are gonna look like and you've got a clear picture of that as you set out on the journey.
1: Great. Thanks for jumping in there. (laughs) My screen's freezing, so it's causing some drama.
0: You look great on my screen, mate.
1: So that wraps it up for today, unless we've got any questions coming through, Sarah.
2: Um, Not yet. But I do... um, I have shared the link again so that they can register for next week's um, Wednesday CCM series if they haven't already done so also going to share a webinar for tomorrow because we're still doing our Thursday webinars we're just um, a little bit crowded at the moment I think tried to cram everything in before the end of the year so that one tomorrow is um, by David Proven and Ralph Shreve and they're covering um, shape supervision redefining frontline safety leadership um, haven't got any questions yet, but just a reminder that we'll send this out later today, um, video and podcast, which is helpful if you're super busy and you wanna do it on the train. Um, so um, hang on, there's a question. Um, other than the ICMM, do you know of any decision tree flowcharts to determine critical controls?
0: Yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean. If I'm understanding the question, there's a couple of uh, good risk analysis tools that can be used to identify critical controls. Um, Again, the the best one for your organisation, you'd you'd have to do some kind of benefit analysis, but there's things like swift uh, analysis, fault tree analysis, obviously. Um, You know, they're all all visual tools, even the bow ties, Terry said earlier, they're visual tools to help you identify where your critical interventions are going to lie. In managing that material unwanted the
1: van just to add to that too i think don't get caught up trying to make it too complex if something like a bow tie works well stick with that
2: okay um well that's that question so we don't have any more um and as you said we're keeping it short and sweet which is um good for people busy so um we'll look forward to next week and um Thank you, Adam and Terry, for joining us today. And um, they've, uh, the slides will go out. It's got your contact details on, so if they have any questions um, or they want to talk more with you about what you, what you can do, then that will go out in the email later today. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, we'll see you either tomorrow um, or next Wednesday. Great. Thanks, for having us.